Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Looking forward to what God's going to do. Man, the worship this morning has just been just overwhelming. God has just been speaking just so powerfully. You sang out so wonderfully. It's just exciting to be in this place, to hear you lift up your voice and worship the Lord. I'm just grateful to be here. We're in a series entitled Love Did This. And this year, that's kind of our theme as we go about this year, that we want to look back on all that God has done. And when people ask, how was it accomplished? How did that get uh, done? We want to be able to say that love did this. That's, that's kind of our theme. And so we've been in a series looking at the life and character of Jonah. And uh, A.W. Tozier, a, a, an old writer of kind of days gone by, he said, to become a whole Christian, you need the whole Bible. So we, I know a lot of preachers, maybe they'll go topical, and we do that on occasion, but I typically like to dive into a book for a little while, and I like to just kind of pull out passages and look at things and kind of pull out scriptures and see how it can apply to our lives each and every week. And I believe that God's word is powerful. I did this earlier and I'm going to do this again. There's something about taking the word of God. And I know it's kind of, uh, we live in the digital age. So to have an actual, you know, hardback Bible or something that, that, that may be a little bit rare, especially when it's easy to put, pull it up on our phones, but there's something about underlining, highlighting, making notes, writing in your Bible. It's just something special. For me, it's something where I want to be able to hand off a Bible to one of my kids or something like that, maybe my grandkids, you know, as I mark it up, fill it so they can have uh, just a little memento, just kind of to, to maybe remember some of the things that God spoke to me about. And I'm just curious, how many of you, you have a Bible from a parent, a grandparent, maybe a great grandparent? Can I see your hands? Wow, that's a lot. You see, isn't it funny that we have a Bible? It's something that we can pass on. And I, I know it's, it's a dead cow with some dead trees, but I mean, there's just something about it, isn't it? It's something just powerful to have that, that, that we have. And so I know we live in a digital age where it's harder to bring a Bible. And I'm not, hey, you know, Bible thumping, like bring your Bibles. No, it's just something about writing it down. God's word speaks to us, and it's powerful. And so we want to go through God's word and let God's word go through us. We're in this series, and we're looking at the character of Jonah. And Jonah was a man who God came to him clearly in chapter 1. And God told Jonah, hey, Jonah, you need to go to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is about 500 miles from where Jonah lived. But instead of Jonah obeying God, he decides to disobey God, goes down to the city of Joppa, charters a boat, and he sails 2,500 miles away. Sometimes it's easier to obey God than to disobey God. Because on his 2,500-mile journey, he encounters a major storm. In the storm, he gets thrown overboard into the water, and then he gets swallowed by a whale. The whale keeps him in his belly for three days and three nights, and then finally spits him back up. And if I had to guess, just because of how the Bible works, I would imagine that if God told the whale to spit up Jonah somewhere, I have a feeling to be right back at Joppa. Because don't you know life's kind of like that? If you don't learn the lesson, you're going to wind up right back where you started. And God's like, okay, round two, let's try this again. Let's see if you've learned. And here Jonah would find himself maybe back at Joppa to go make the journey. And so we looked in week number one, we talked about that God's love met Jonah. And Jonah was to be on a mission. God, God met him to be on mission. And we have a mission. Our church, we believe in a mission. We're not just here to just gather on a Sunday and to hear a message and sing some songs. No, we're here for a reason. Because we believe that we're to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope in our community. And so we're on a mission, and the mission is his message. So we go into all the community, all the city, telling people about his message. That's why we don't want it to just be where we wait till an 
outreach event to go tell people about Jesus. This week, there was about six people that got up early, and they started inviting people to church, and they were serving them coffee and donuts at the Caltrain station. You can invite your coworker. You can talk to your coworker about Jesus, or you can talk to your neighbor, or your loved one, or your family members. Look for any opportunity to bring up Jesus, to point people to Jesus, because we have met him to be on a mission. And Jonah, he decides to run from God. He decides to run from his mission. And the Bible says that Jonah goes to Joppa, gets on the boat. He's crossing the Mediterranean Sea. And somewhere along the way, God sends this storm. The storm is so bad, the captain is kind of getting all hands on deck because you don't want to be below deck because this storm's taking this boat under. And you want to jump out in the sea and take your chances out there instead of in the sinking ship. And so he goes down below. And who does he find down below? He finds Jonah asleep in the storm. And I'm thankful that this captain goes to wake Jonah up. Some of you, you've been asleep in all the chaos, all that God is trying to do. And there was somebody who had enough faith, enough courage to wake you up. Say, hey, you are in a mess. What you're doing is dumb. Where you're headed is the wrong way. And so this captain, God kind of uses this captain to kind of wake him up out of his metaphorical sleep. And some of you, you're in a metaphorical sleep. And God's going to send somebody to kind of shake you up, wake you up, to kind of say, hey, let's get back on track. We're headed 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. Let's turn this ship around. Let's get things righted. But instead of Jonah immediately saying, yeah, let's get back on track, he goes on deck. And then What did the sailors do? They want to find out who's the cause of this problem. So they cast lots. This is kind of one of their their little methods to determine who was doing wrong. And the Bible says the lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah then confesses. It's interesting. He wasn't going to confess for his wrongdoing until he got caught. Isn't that so much like you and I? We're not going to confess anything until we got caught. Man, the other day I took my kids, and, and my wife's really healthy, and so she was out at the gym, so I took my kids to go get candy. And as soon as they were done with their candy, I know, so the, parents, the dads in the room, they sympathize. They know where this is going. I was like, we're going to get candy? And I wasn't necessarily trying to hide it from my wife. I just wasn't going to volunteer information, you know? And uh, there's a difference, right? And so sure enough, they didn't finish their candy, so I put it up in the pantry. But I, I kind of put some things in front of their candy. And sure enough, my wife just has, I don't know, God gifts women with just a sixth sense. You know when your husbands have sinned, okay? You just know when they've wronged, when they've transgressed, and when they are worthy of punishment, okay? And she sure enough found out. She was like, you gave the kids candy before bed? I was like, well, you were at the gym, and you know, we were watching a movie, and I wanted to give them a little bit of candy and stuff. So, it, and I didn't confess until I was caught. I should have just confessed right away. As soon as I saw her, I should have, as soon as she opened the door, fallen on bended knee and said, forgive Give me, I gave our kids sugar. All right, I just, that would have been better. It really would have. But no, I've got to learn the hard way, okay? And so here he confesses, but not until he had been caught. And that's so much like us. But then these sailors, they ask a great, a great question. They said, we're in the middle of the storm. What should we do? And that's a very good question. If you find yourself in the middle of a storm, that's exactly what you should do is ask God, God, what's going on? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you doing? Because God doesn't just send his discipline pointlessly. God's discipline is always by design. This morning, if you're going through a storm, you're going through a difficulty, mark it down, write it down that God's discipline is always by design. Just like a good parent will discipline their children, just like a boss may discipline his employee, just like you may discipline your pets, it's not needless. It's not aimless. There is a point to this. And God is the same with his children. If you are a child of God, sometimes discipline will come into your life. And why? It's to get you back to his direction. 
It's to get you back on track. And it's not, uh, God's not indifferent. It's by design. And so Jonah, he's, he's, he really is a high-maintenance, low-performance kind of Christian. That's really what Jonah is. Instead of him obeying God, doing exactly what God told him to do, he's going to go do his own thing. And he's not just running from some place. He's trying to run from someone. And some of us, we've been there. We're not running from a place. We're running from a person. The person is God. And God's been trying to get a hold of us. He's been trying to get our attention, but we've been running from him. And last week, we really brought up the question that God can take even our mistakes and mess-ups and do something great with them. And we said that God can bring revival even out of our wreck. See, Jonah in chapter 2, it wasn't until chapter 2, verse 1, that the Bible says that Jonah prayed. He's a prophet. He's one of 50 prophets in the Old Testament. And here, this prophet, it wasn't until chapter 2 that we finally hear that he does something spiritual in praying. Chapter 2. It took him a while to get there. But what did it take? It took him going through a storm, took him going through a difficulty, where finally he's waking up to the fact that, okay, I need to get my life together. Okay, I'm done doing this. I'm done running from God. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to get back on track. And then he prays. And it's through this prayer that he begins to pour out his heart. And he begins to seek God. And God delivers him at the end of chapter 3. He's spit up out of the whale's belly. And then we come to chapter 3, which is kind of going to be our text this morning. So if you have your Bible or you have your tablet, your phone, or you can just look up at the screen, we're going to jump in at verse number 1. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I would underline that a second time. I would highlight that because it's great to know that God will take you. Even if you've messed up, you haven't washed up. God will use you. Even if you've messed up, you haven't been washed up. That God wants to take and use you. There's a second chance. But then God comes to him in verse 2 and says, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim the message that I tell you. The title of my message this morning is simply, Nineveh needs you. Would you touch your favorite neighbor next to you and say, Nineveh needs you. Nineveh needs you. Now, touch your second favorite neighbor, second choice, lesser favorite. You don't like them as much, nor do you love them, nor do you remember their birthday. And say, Nineveh needs you too, I guess. And add the, I guess, you know, and just make them really feel that you are second favorite, okay? I mean, it's just that that's how it goes, all right? And uh, so Nineveh needs you, and we all have a Nineveh. Your Nineveh may be your spouse. It may be your job. Your Nineveh may be your children. Your Nineveh may be your job, but we've all got a Nineveh. Your Nineveh may be your neighbor, but we all have a Nineveh this morning. And I think too often we're running from our Nineveh because we see our Nineveh. We're like, nope, no, thank you. And we take off. We're, we're gone. And instead of saying, you know what? God has given me this place. He's put me here for a reason. I'm going to do it. But notice Jonah, it's three chapters later, all of a sudden, verse 3. Because in chapter 1, verse 3, he ran. But notice what he does. So Jonah got up, and he went to Nineveh. I just feel like giving Jonah a hand. Like, yeah, buddy, you learned. You're so much like me. It took you three chapters to obey God. This is awesome, all right? I don't feel so bad, you know? Maybe I'm not as stubborn as I thought. So after three chapters, he gets up. He goes according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding large city, a three-day journey across. This city was so large, it would take three days to cross this city. The Bible says that that's where Jonah's going. Now, here's a little bit of facts about the city of uh, Nineveh. The city of Nineveh at this time is 120,000 people. 
I was doing some uh, studying, not necessarily in the Bible, but just history to learn more about the city of Nineveh. They said prior to this time, the city was over 600,000 people. In this period, they had been racked by two plagues that wiped out most of their population. So here's a city of well over half a million people that now has been decimated down to 120,000 people. I think they're ready for a messenger from God. Because God will take our mistakes and God will use those to work his miracle. And if you're here this morning, you feel like, you know what, I've messed up. I've ruined things. I'm here to tell you that God will take, even when you mess up, you're not washed up. Because God will give everyone the chance to change. That's what he wants. So this morning, as we dive in, we need to understand that Nineveh needs us, but God's assignment, we're looking at it. We're like, this assignment's too great. It's too big. I don't know if I can do it. But here's what you need to write down this morning. You need to put it away. You need to memorize it. Because some of you feel like you've been called to a place or a person that's just too great. It's too difficult. And you want out. You want to run away. You want to get on a a ship 2,500 miles and go the opposite direction. But I'm here to tell you, God's assignments always come with God's assistance. God didn't call you to a job where he's not going to lead you, where he's not going to care for you. So no matter what the calling, God will always give whatever you need to make sure it's accomplished. Some of you this year, you're called to great things. You're called to big things. And God wants you to know that he, you have his assistance as you go about it. You say, my children, they're, they're acting up. They're very difficult. I wish I could just check out on life and just, and just get away from it. And I'm telling you this morning, that's where God's assistance comes in. The apostle Paul in the new Testament says his grace is sufficient for me. So whenever you encounter a difficulty, understand God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is there to meet you when life gets difficult. Many times we look at a situation, we think it's too great, but it's never too great for God's grace. And God's grace will meet you in that difficulty. And I think too often we just get wrapped up and it's too difficult. It's too hard. But God wants you to understand that he will never take you through a season of pressure without releasing greater power. You see, that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to bring you into a season filled with pressure to release greater power in your life. Every stage of life, it gets more difficult. I think too often we just think that life's supposed to get easier and easier. It doesn't always get that way. Life sometimes gets more and more difficult, but why God is trying to do something through you because God wants you to understand that you need him this morning. You can't go through life in and of yourself. You need God. He never intended you to go through life on your own. He wants you to depend on him. I think it's interesting. As you go to chapter one, when Jonah tells the sailors that to save themselves from the storm, he tells them to do something very unique. He says, Throw me overboard. You say, why is that unique? Why did he need their help to throw him overboard? His legs don't work. He can't jump himself. You ever thought about scripture? I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves a question. Because too many times, just, oh, he just, they threw him in. No, no, stop for a second. That's, scripture didn't just throw that in. Now, here's what the Bible does say. It says that they had thrown out all the livestock, all the valuables. So if I was a sailor, I'd be pretty mad. I'd be glad to throw this boy in. I'd be like, yeah, man, I just threw in all my livelihood. You going in next. Yeah, for sure. But they didn't want to. But if Jonah knew that him just jumping into the ocean would have made the storm stop, why didn't he just do it? Like, why didn't he just, as soon as the captain brought him on deck, just like, bloop, and just jump in. Like, You could just save a lot of time, right? Why go around casting lots? Why go through the whole spiel? Just jump in, dude. Come on. Be a man. Man up. But then the sailors would have looked at Jonah 
as their Savior and not God. They would have said, Jonah saved us. God didn't do that. Jonah did that. But the moment they picked Jonah up and they threw him in, he's not their Savior anymore. Who's their Savior? God. And the very next verse, the Bible says they repented and they sought God. The one true. The Bible uses the word Yahweh, which means the one true God. These guys were, they were polytheists. They, they believed in multiple gods. But at this point, after this action, they were like, there's only one true God that can make that storm cease. There's only one God that could fix this. And at that moment, they turned to him. See, God wants you to understand, hey, for every assignment, there's his assistant. So what has God called you to? You see, you've been given a Nineveh this morning. But you need to understand that your Nineveh is great. And it's going to be difficult. But God is going to send you his assistance to accomplish it you see his grace is sufficient his strength is there so if you're in a moment in your marriage and you're thinking i don't know if i can stay in this relationship god's assistance will be there if you're dealing with a rebellious child and you're saying i don't know if i can stay in this i don't know if i can raise this child god's assistance will meet you if you're in a situation at your job and you're thinking i can't keep going god's assistance will meet you if you're in a place in the city where you're trying to reach reach people and you've been working on that neighbor and working on that loved one you're not sure if they're going to get saved you're not sure if they're going to change their life i'm telling you god's assistance will step in so stop trying to do life on your own remember that god's grace will meet you there his assistance is there god wants to help you because god wants to release a greater power through you He wants to do great things in you you say why because god wants everyone the chance to change you see that's exactly what god was sending jonah to nineveh because god had a message for nineveh The message is this. The gospel message is greater than our mess. That's the message of the gospel. That the gospel, its message, what it's all about, it's that the gospel is greater than our mess. So no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened, the gospel comes into our life and it changes things. That's why it's called the good news. It's the gospel. It's this life-changing news. But isn't it interesting that Jonah goes to Nineveh after three days and three nights in the whale's belly? I think that's significant. You think too often we just look at scriptures arbitrary, three days and three nights. It's significant because that's a picture of Christ being dead and rising again. But it's a picture of Jonah experiencing the new life in Christ. You see, he had to die to his old ways so he could be born again in the new way and follow God's will. Some of you, you're thinking it's hard to live the Christian life, but have you truly accepted Jesus or have you just been pretending? I shared my testimony with somebody this past week, and my testimony was this. I grew up with a, with a dad who was a pastor, so I just thought I was always going to heaven. I just assumed that my dad's a pastor, and so I'm going to get a one-way ticket to heaven. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to heaven. Then my oldest brother, Josh, came home from teen camp, and he told everybody the news that he got saved. He gave his life to Christ, and all of a sudden, I was shocked. I was dumbfounded. You say, why? Because my oldest brother, Josh, was perfect, the perfect child, okay? Perfect. I I mean, just anything he did, it was always perfect. When the power went out, we lit the room with his halo. It was just, he was perfect, okay? He did nothing wrong. So if he needed to get saved, oh, I was going to burn in hell for sure. Like, I was going to burn. It was going to be bad. Barbecue. It was going to be bad. So all of a sudden, I began to sense the convicting work of the Holy Spirit on my heart. And I just knew that, man, I need to get this right. Like, you start having this inner wrestling. And some of you, maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you're running from God. Maybe God is saying, hey, you've been 
you've been pretending at this. You've been thinking that you're saved. You've been thinking you gave your life to Christ. But I'm telling you, you haven't. It's time to make that decision. It's time to, to today say, I need to be born again. I need to be born anew. I need to be saved from my own self. You see, that's really it. God didn't just come to save you from your sin. He also came to save you from yourself. And some of you, it's not just a sin problem, it's a self problem. And we're in the season of self-help, aren't we? Man, everybody's going to the gym. Is your gym full right now? You're like, I don't go to the gym. Okay, yeah, that's fine, all right. But I go to a gym, and it's full, and it's starting to kind of die down now. I got my machines back, you know. And I try to encourage them. I'm like, you can make it longer than the free-week trial, you know. Come on, come on. I know they gave you a week free, but let's keep going after this, right? And, you know, they, they're like, no, it's too hard and everything and that type of stuff. And so we're in the season of self-help, and everything's like, oh, I want to better my life. I want to improve myself, healthy habits, eating healthy. Got my Vitamixer, and I'm going to eat kale. That's all I'm going to eat is kale. And and then like 35 minutes after eating kale, you're like, I really want a cheeseburger. And there went kale. You know, you just, you just can't. It's a season of self-help. But God didn't call us to self-help. In the Gospels, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's not the season of self-help. God didn't call you to self-help. He called you to self-sacrifice. And he's saying, hey, let's lay it all down. And Jonah came to a point in his life where he said, God wants everyone to change. And that even means the Ninevites. But notice what happens. In verse number 10, the Bible says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them. And he didn't not. God didn't, God didn't end up destroying them. But you would think Jonah would be happy, right? You would think, man, he preaches, in essence, a four-word message in Hebrew. And 120,000 people get saved. I'm telling you what, if I could show up on Sundays, say four words, and 120,000 people get saved, I'm telling you my life would get a lot easier, okay? I mean, on average Sunday, I'm 10 to 12,000 words, easy per message, easy. So, I mean, for, for Jonah to be able to have it that easy, I'm really jealous. But notice his attitude in chapter 4. The Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was really angry. And then in verse 5, it says he goes up on a hill, and he gets himself a little lawn chair. He sits back, and he's going to watch the city burn. He's waiting for it to burn. And then he gets mad that the city doesn't burn. He gets upset with God. Why? He's now taking a passive posture towards people. I know that's a lot of peace, passive posture towards people. Peter Piper, no, we won't do it. You say, what do you mean a passive posture? He doesn't care. And I think that's where we can get to. Well, we no longer care about people. We no longer care about the neighbor. We no longer care about the coworker or the boss. We don't look at people as children of God. We don't look at people that are hurting, people that have gone through situations. You see, too often, we want a second chance from God, but we're not willing to give somebody else a second chance. Oh, we want God's forgiveness, but we don't want it to extend towards them. Oh, oh God, I want you to bless me, but beat them. Oh, God, I want your provision. But God, I don't want you to help that person. Oh, no, 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 I don't want you to help her. I don't want you to help him. That coworker, really, God, you're going you're gonna to bless them? And all of a sudden, we become the judge, right? And we create an us and they. We create a culture where, God, I'm better than them. And that's pride. I'm telling you, that can divide people. We start looking at somebody that they don't deserve God's blessing, that they shouldn't have it. And too often we see somebody else who has something nice or has something new, and we get upset. Why did they get a new car? Why did they get a new house? Why did they get those things? They don't deserve that, but it's not up to us. Here's the thing. Sometimes we can get on social media, and we'll see somebody else's success, and we feel like a failure. We see somebody who looks skinny, and we feel fat. 
We see somebody who's got money and we feel poor. How is it that we were just fine five seconds before we looked at the picture? But as soon as we looked at the picture, all of a sudden we feel insecure, inferior, self-conscious. At the moment social media does that to you, delete it. It's not worth it. It isn't. So unless you can guard yourself from feeling that way, don't go on it, especially as soon as you wake up. You just set your whole day up for failure. Like sometimes the first thing you do is you get up, you grab your phone, and you check all of your IG, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. You check, and you're just like, wow, you know, I just, man, I can't believe they have that. They went on that date. They went there. Look at their kids. Look what she made. And you just feel like a horrible person. Someone else's success doesn't equal your failure. And here's Jonah. He's feeling terrible. Why? He's looking at the city like, just burn. I want a barbecue, man. I got the hot dogs. I got the marshmallows. I'm ready to go. Come on, light this candle, God. And God's like, no, I'm going to spare them because people matter. Because it's all about people. I read this great quote by Brene Brown. She said, our faith asks us to find the face of God in everyone. In every single person, it is our job to look for the face of God in them. Because we're creating the Imago Dei, the image of God. And you may look at a person, you think, I disagree with them. I think they are totally wrong. They vote differently. They look differently. They act differently. They choose different things. But we as a church look for the face of God in everyone. And we say, God, you love them. God, you care about them. And so, God, I'm going to extend grace towards that person. Because, God, you want to do something great in their life. You see, Jonah, it was easy for him to be critical and to bash, and it was because he did not depend on God. He he knew, I've got to accomplish this assignment, but that's all it went towards. You see, he had behavior modification, but no heart transformation. You see, yeah, he had changed his ways. He didn't want to go back in the whale. And before I get too hard on Jonah, though, we need to just stop for a second. Because we can look at Jonah and be like, man, this guy, I can't believe this guy ungrateful, ingratitude, man, he shows up, and what's he thinking? Why would he have this bad attitude? I mean, he gets to the city of Nineveh, and he preaches a four-word sermon. The city is three days to go across the city. He goes one day into the city, gives a four-word sermon, turns around and walks back out, has a huge revival, and he's upset about it. But before I give Jonah a hard time, I need to stop and actually praise him. You say, why? Because he showed up. And that's better than you and I do sometimes. He showed up even though he didn't want to. He showed up even though it was hard. Because when it gets hard, we don't like to show up. You know why those people didn't go back to the gym? It was hard. It was difficult. You know why people don't want to witness? You know why people don't want to stay in a relationship? You know why people don't want to raise good kids? You know why people don't want to work hard at their job? Because it's hard. Life is hard. Life is difficult. But here's what we need to say. And I want you to write this down. I want you to understand that you need to say this next time. It's hard, but I'm here. It's hard, but I'm here. It was hard. Everything that Jonah went through, he went through running from God. He went through a storm. He was thrown into the ocean. He was swallowed by a whale. He was puked up three days later. Then he had to march 500 miles, and he shows up in a city. And we can't fault him, but at least he showed up. Are you going to show up? Are you going to show up for your kids when it's hard? Are you going to show up for your spouse when it's hard? Are you going to show up at your job when you don't want to? Are you going to show up at church when you don't want to this year? Are you just going to show up or are you just going to skip out? What is the decision you're going to make this year? Because some of the greatest contribution you may make is the fact that you just showed up. 
You say, you know what? It was hard, but I'm here. It was hard, but I'm here. But I'll take it a step further. I would say it wasn't just hard. How many believe that Jonah was actually hurting? He's having to preach to a group of people that attacked his nation, killed people he loved. He was the prophet. He was a prophet for the nation of Israel. He probably had to deal with some crying mothers and crying fathers who lost children, who lost loved ones. And now he's got to go to those people and tell them God will forgive them? Here's another thing. Not just it was hard, I'm here. I'm hurt, but I'm here. And this is the hardest one for the church. We get hurt, we don't show up. I got offended. I got hurt. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to do it. You hurt my feelings. And, and I, let me validate your feelings. It stinks when your feelings get hurt. It stinks when you see your kids' feelings get hurt. But guess what? Even though I'm hurt, I'm here. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm hurt, but I'm here. I'm hurt, but I'm here. It's time that we go through life and we don't let the hurts hold us back. Because some of times it's easy to let some hurt or some hard thing hold us back from doing all that God's called us to. So it's time we say, God, I show up when it's hard. I show up when nobody else does. God, I do the hard things. I go the extra mile. I love when nobody loves back. I forgive though they don't forgive me. God, I will go though no one else goes. God, I will do all that you've called me to because I know your assignment will come with your assistance. And that's all that God asks of us. And God will do great things through us. The moment we say, God, I'm not going to let the hard things or the hurt things stop me. And it's the moment we say to God, God, I am committed to this thing. We need Christians. We need people that at this moment in time say, God, I don't care how hard it gets to build this building. God, I don't care how hard it is to lead this Sunday school class. God, I don't care how hard it is to lead this life group. God, I don't care how hard it gets in my marriage. I don't care how hard it gets in these teenage years. But God, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be here even though it's hard. I'm going to be here even though I hurt. I'm going to be here. Is that you this morning? Will you be here even though you're hurt? Even though it's hard? Can we all stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to see you work. We want to know that you do great things. But God, we'll never get to see your wonders in the deep if we never step out in the boat and we sail out on the waters. And God, there are great things you've called us as a church to. But until we step out, until we say, God, I am going to embrace all that you've called me to, we'll never see you work. So God, help us to be a church that says we do the hard things. We show up. No matter what happens, we're here. We're committed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and lives here. You say this morning, there's been something I'm tempted to walk away from. There's something I'm tempted to quit on. But I've been reminded that Jonah at least showed up. Is that you? Would you slip up your hands? Can I pray for you? You say, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to walk away. Is that you? Just lift up a hand. I can pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Hands all up over the room. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. You see these people that have gone through hard things, that are going through hard things. The storms of life are beating against them. But God, we are trusting you that God, when you give the assignment, you give the assistance. And so Father, you are giving us a second chance. So Lord, we need you. We pray that you would speak in a powerful way. Thank you for the fact that you do give us a second chance. Oh, I pray that you would work. Let me pray for a second group. Maybe you're here and you say, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never been born again. I've never received Jesus as my Savior. 
And this morning, I've been pretending, I've been acting like I'm a Christian, but it's not real. And this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. And you say, this morning, I want to make that decision. Is that you? You'd slip up your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Is that you? I see that hand. I see that hand. Somebody else, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Is that you? Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to receive him as my savior. You pray this simple prayer. I'll pray it out loud as you pray it silently. It's just a simple prayer, just this. Dear God, I recognize I'm a sinner. And God, you came to save my sin, but you also came to save me from myself. So God, I want to receive your forgiveness. I want your blood to wash me clean and anew. God, I receive your son. I pray that you would make me a new creature. Thank you for your forgiveness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.